Well, good morning, and uh, today being Father's Day, uh, what a privilege to be able to be together to worship and to, to share with you today. We are going to continue on with our study in the book of Hebrews here in just a little bit, but before we jump into our passage, I just want to speak for just a moment to uh, hopefully encourage our dads a little bit today, and we'll be tying some things into our passage. It fits very well. The passage that we're studying today fits very well with the Father's Day theme, but that's not necessarily the entire theme in the morning. Um, but, you know, being a, being a dad for me is one of the greatest privileges of my life. And uh, I have two amazing daughters that have a really close bond with, and uh, we're in a season right now where uh, our youngest is about to go away to college here in a couple of months. So we're about to enter that empty nest stage as I'm looking around. I know some of the others are uh, in similar places right now. And uh, uh, those that have already been there and been down that road, I may be coming to you saying, help me work through this and uh, figure out how to deal with this. And uh, for those that, that are um, in a phase where you have kids at home, you know, we've, we've been down that road for, I guess, a little over 21 years now, and so uh, maybe have a little bit of encouragement to offer there. But, uh, you know, just on, on this day, on the special Father's Day, I just want to encourage all of our dads uh, to make the most of that opportunity that you have and uh, to, to do everything you can to pour into that relationship. You know, one of the things that becomes more and more evident, and I always heard people say this, is the older kids get and the closer they get to not being at home all the time, the more you appreciate the times that you do have. And so I would encourage you to make the most of those times and, and uh, invest as heavily as you possibly can in your kids' lives and uh, know, dads, the difference that you make in the lives of your kids. You really do. And, uh, and that's, that's just such a, a wonderful opportunity. You know, my, my, my goal always as a dad is I want to be a reflection of their Heavenly Father. I want to, them to see God in me, and I fall way short of that every single day. Um, but that's something that we can strive toward, and that's a, a great uh, privilege that we have, an opportunity that we have. And so I would encourage you, men, to let's strive toward this together, uh, to, to, to take advantage of that. And I want to also offer some encouragement to those that uh, maybe uh, don't have a father uh, in your life, whether that is because your father has passed on, whether that is because just of the, the circumstances that you've been in, that you just haven't had that father actively involved in your life. Uh, and today we are reminded that we do have a good father who loves us dearly. And uh, as we get into Hebrews chapter 9 today, I think this is a great passage for Father's Day for two reasons. One, it reminds us of the love that our Heavenly Father has for every single one of us. Uh, he loves us perfectly. He loves us deeply. And he loves us sacrificially, as we'll get into here in just a moment. And that sacrificial love that he has for us is, is what allows us to even have a relationship with him. And we'll, we'll jump into that here um, in, in just a moment and talk about that. But really, it is that, that sacrifice. You know, it's the love and it's the sacrifice. And those are both tied together that I think are two reasons that this is a great passage for us on Father's Day. So, uh, what I'd like to do today is as we jump into this passage in a moment, I, I would like for us to look at this sacrifice of Christ from a few different angles. And, and in the book of Hebrews, so much of Hebrews is about the sacrifice of Jesus. And we've been in this in weeks past, and we, we're continuing on today. And so really our challenge is, how do we look at a very familiar story 
Uh, we, most of us are probably familiar with Christ and giving himself on the cross for us, the sacrifice that he made, the blood that he shed for us. We've probably heard that story before. But today I hope to look at it maybe just from some different angles. Because when you look at something from some different perspectives, it maybe appreciate uh, a little bit more. And here's the, the, the image that came to mind for me. I was thinking about a diamond. You know, a diamond has a lot of different angles and things that you can see. And I looked online and actually found a little video here. And so we're going to run that for you to see. You know, as you take a diamond, which by the way, that's just, that, that's a real diamond. It's only about, I think it was $107,000. So guys, I know it's Father's Day today, but when you're looking to get something for your wife, you know, that might be something that you would be interested in. Uh, but, but isn't that just a, a great picture or a great, um, I guess, image of the cross is something beautiful that the, the, the more you turn in and look at it from different directions, the more beauty that you can see. And so let's see if we can take some more of that in today as we start Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. It was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, we're going to carry on a little bit further past that, but I want to stop there for a moment and camp out on these verses. And, and the first angle that I want us to look at is to appreciate the fact that Christ's sacrifice was once for all. Is This was a, a one-and-done sacrifice. He took care of everything when he gave himself for us, uh, and, and it is not something like the sacrifices up to that point that had to be repeated. You know, daily sacrifices, once a year, the Day of Atonement, where the sacrifice was made. Jesus took care of that. And, and as a result, as we saw last week in the passages right before this, because of that sacrifice, it opened the way for us to have direct access to God that we didn't have before. And we talked about how the blood of Christ cleanses us inwardly. Before, it was just outward kinds of purification. This cleanses us inwardly. Uh, but it says in verse 26 that we read a moment ago, uh, that it says that Christ appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages. Some translations say the consummation of the ages. That This word indicates different parts of something coming together as one. And I want think about that for a moment. The sacrifice of Jesus, this once for all sacrifice, was a, a culmination of everything that God had put into into work up to that point. Everything was leading up to this point, this, this consummation, this culmination where Jesus would become our sacrifice. And we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks, the fact that God had a system, you know, where animals could be sacrificed and there were outward things that could be done that the worshipers would go through, that we say the outward things were supposed to inspire inward faith. But we also looked at the fact this was never God's final plan. From the very beginning, he knew that he had a bigger plan than just to have an animal sacrifice, that his plan all along was to send his son to give him as a sacrifice for us. And so everything 
from that point had been leading up toward this. And so now at the moment that Jesus comes and God in his wisdom and understanding of, of the timing of everything knew the, exactly the right time. And Jesus comes and gives himself and it's like all these pieces that had been out there come together at this point. It's this consummation or, or culmination of the ages here. And, and so now because of what Christ has done, we do have access to God. In Romans 5, 6, it puts it this way. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Again, that emphasizes God's timing, right? God knew exactly the right time, and at just the right time, that's what he did for us. It was the point where all the different puzzle pieces came together in this beautiful act of redemption. And then... What it says happened as a result of that at the end of verse 26, it says that Christ came to put away sin. Now, again, that, that's another interesting word there, the word to put away, because that's the question myself when I read it. I was like, what does that mean? Christ came to put away sin. That doesn't mean that sin is no longer a reality because of what Jesus has done. But here's what that word put away means. It means to render something void. It means to... Take the power away from whatever it is. And so when this verse tells us that Christ came to put away sin, it's, it's the same word that you might use for an annulment. It's no longer uh, has any validity. The reality is that sin is still something we deal with, right? Because here's the good news. As believers, because of what Jesus has done for us, Sin does not have to have power in our lives anymore. Do you realize that? We do not have to be subject, or as the Bible talks about, we're, not, we're no longer slaves to sin, that we have been set free from the power of sin. Now, do we still struggle with it? Yeah, I do, and I'm sure you do as well. But, but I don't have to. See, whereas before, we, we really had no power over sin. Apart from Christ, we're slaves to sin. There's nothing we can do about it. But now through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the sin has actually been rendered void. It, it is no longer valid in our lives unless we allow it to be so. Thinking about this in terms of uh, uh, a holiday or a special day, uh, that we were remembering on Friday. Friday was Juneteenth. Juneteenth, of course, is the day uh, that, that uh, the slaves in Texas became aware of the Emancipation Proclamation two and a half years earlier uh, that Abraham Lincoln had proclaimed. And, and uh, here's what he said uh, back there to quote him. He said, all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforth shall be free. So he made this proclamation of freedom for the slaves. But it wasn't until two and a half years later, on June 19th, that the slaves in Texas actually got word that everything that, that had held them, that the, the laws that had allowed for slavery and the laws that had allowed them to be mistreated and to be oppressed and all those things that they were going through, that all of that had been rendered void. It had been annulled, but they didn't know it. See, that's the key for us when it comes to understanding the freedom that we have in Christ. When Jesus died, he, he made void sin's power in our lives. But guess what? If we don't know it, 
If we haven't gotten the message and we don't realize, hey, guess what? I've been set free. And once that message comes that I've been set free, I guess you could, could choose to live as if you've not been set free. But why would you? Why would we continue to allow sin to, to have that kind of authority in our lives when we have uh, been set free from it? it, it it's, it's, it's been put away in the sense that it no longer has power over us. And then I love the way it describes in verse 28 what happened uh, when it says that Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many. Uh, but then, it, you know, uh, this again was a once for all deal that Jesus sacrificed. We see that in verse 27 that this happened once for all. But we're reminded something really important. And that is that just as Jesus' death was a once for all thing, so our death and impending judgment is a once for all thing as well. Did you catch that in verse 27? When it's talking about how Jesus gave himself and it says in the same way that, that we are destined to die once and then after that to face judgment. And so what that should say to us is uh, we need to, to make sure that we are prepared because here's the deal, guys. When, when this life is over, we will stand before God. We will have to give an account before God. Listen, there is, there's no purgatory there's no second chances. There's no, you know, someone praying you out of one place into another. Our eternal um, destiny is based on how we respond to God in this life right now. And the only hope that we have is this once for all sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. Because of what Christ has done, because of the blood that he has shed for us, we have the opportunity to respond in faith. If we don't respond in faith now, in this lifetime, it's going to be too late. Every one of us is destined once to die and then to face judgment. And at that point, we need to be ready. The only thing that will, will be um, a valid answer when we're asked to give an account for our sins is that I trusted in the blood of Jesus shed to cover me. I'm trusting and I've trusted in his righteousness, not my own. And God will look at that and say, that's exactly why I gave him as this once for all sacrifice to cover us. And so by faith in that, then, uh, then we are covered. So the first angle that I want us to see is that Christ sacrifices a once for all sacrifice. The second thing that I want us to see, which is remarkable to me, uh, is the fact that Christ's sacrifice was God's will. It was God's will. Now, I know that's a simple thing to say, but I want us to, to really uh, let that sink in for a minute. At the beginning of chapter 10, and I'm not going to read all the verses to you right now, but basically at the beginning, he goes through um, talking through some of the same things that, that he's been talking about in previous chapters, how, you know, Christ's coming was, um, it was done in heaven in the true tabernacle, not in the earthly tabernacle. And he talks about how it didn't have to be repeated year after year and those kinds of things. And, uh, and then you get into verse 8. Let's pick it up in verse 8. It says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. Okay, catch that phrase there. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And that will, excuse me, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It makes it very clear in these verses 
that this was all part of God's plan, or another way of saying that is that this was God's will. Now, here's why that reality is mind-blowing to me, especially on Father's Day. I think about the relationship that I have with my two girls. And I love them very deeply, and I think they know that. Um, And I think about why would God's design, why would God's will or God's plan be to put his beloved son through all that he put him through? Why would he be tortured and mocked and murdered? Why would he go through all of that? I mean, you know, I I understand the bigger picture, and I think most of us probably do, and we understand there was a redemptive purpose. And, you know, we talked about the the, the verse we ended on last week, you know, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness and all that. So Christ shed his blood. I I understand all the theological underpinnings of all of this, and, and it makes total sense. But here's my question. God is God, and could God not have come up with some type of other plan? Could there not have been something else that he could have designed that would have satisfied the righteous requirements of the law and would still have covered our sins? And I have to think, I mean, God is God. God could have come up with something else, right? But he didn't. He chose this specifically. It was his plan. It was his will for Jesus to come and to suffer for us. Why? It's not because... He is unjust. It's not because he is cruel. It's because it's an expression of his love, his deep love for us. Yes, his deep love for the son. And and I don't want us to pass too quickly over the pain that, that the father must have experienced going through that. I mean, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that God, you know, we are created in the image of God. And so I think the emotions and the things that we have are a reflection. Maybe it's not exactly how it works with God, but it is a reflection to some degree of who God is. And so that's why we see things in the Bible like God being excited and rejoicing about things, God getting angry about things, God being grieved by things. And I believe that God does experience pain in some way. And seeing his son go through this, although it was his plan, let's not skip over just how painful that must have been for the father as well. It just speaks to the depth of his love for every single one of us that he would go through that for me and for you. He did that for us because he loves us so deeply. And he experienced that that pain on our behalf. As a father... The most helpless thing in the world is when your kids are hurting and you can't do anything about it, right? Dad, you've, you've been there. Do you understand what that's like? It is absolutely the, the most um, just helpless feeling when I know that my kids are hurting. I, what I want to do is fix it, right? That's what, that's what most of us, that's just our response. Mom or dad, we want to fix it when our kids are hurting. But sometimes we can't. And how many times have you said and thought what I've said and thought is, man, if I could just take their place. If that, if that could just be me experiencing that pain and, and not her, not him, that we would do that in a heartbeat. But sometimes we can't do that. We can't take away their pain. Well, God could have. He could have taken away the pain, but he chose not to. He chose to, to pay this incredibly high price to purchase us as his children. 
for a really long time, and I don't know how long this has, has gone on, but for a long time, the um, tradition of those preparing to propose to a young lady that they want to ask to marry them has been to buy a ring. And traditionally, that has been a diamond ring, which tends to be a little bit expensive, especially um, in many cases, as a young man, maybe starting out, it's like, this is a sacrifice, right? Who was it that decided that you got to have a diamond ring in order to propose, right? Somebody did. Here's why I think it, it matters, and here's where, where my mind goes when I think about that. When, when you make a sacrifice, when you pay a, a high price for something, it says that I'm valuing you at a high level. Now, I understand it's not just material things. I understand some people are able to do more materially than others. I, I'm not, it's not where I'm going, okay? My point is simply this, that the reason behind that, the reason behind I'm giving you something of great value is because whenever you sacrifice at whatever level you know, you're able to sacrifice, that communicates that I love you deeply, or at least it should. That's the heart behind it. And God's sacrifice being such a costly sacrifice for us communicates his love for us. The fact that this was God's plan, that this was God's will for Christ to go through that says something about just how much he loves every one of us. And you know, it wasn't just the Father's plan. Jesus made it very clear that this was his desire as well for us. John 6 Verse 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And you remember when he was praying in the garden that very last night before he was to be taken away to this mock trial and crucifixion, his prayer was to take this cup of suffering from him. But then he ended the prayer with a phrase that we all know very well, and that is, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, I am here to do your will, as he said in John chapter 6. And as he said again, um, you know, just hours before he was to be taken away to be crucified, he was reminding himself and he was communicating back to his father, this is all about doing your will. And so Jesus is 100% on board here. This is not something that he is, you know, being forced through, that he has no choice in how to respond. So it speaks volumes to the love both of the father and of the son for us. Now let's continue on in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I want to camp out on that last little phrase there for just a moment. Uh, by that one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By the way, Jesus knew this wasn't the end of the story, and I love that. It says that it was just waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool, and we see that at the end of, it's either end of chapter 9 or beginning of chapter 10, where it talks about his second coming. He'll come back victoriously. Um, but Jesus gave himself understanding what was coming. Here's the last angle I want to look at today, and that is that Christ's sacrifice perfects us. It perfects us. By this one sacrifice, it says, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is an interesting idea and an interesting phrase that in God's eyes, we have been perfected 
through the blood of Christ. But at the same time, we are still in the process of being made holy. It's both. It's this past tense kind of thing that, that has already taken place. And so in God's eyes, because of the blood of Christ, if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we have been made perfect in his eyes because we take on the righteousness of Jesus. Not because we are perfect on our own, but we take on the righteousness of Jesus. Um, in other words, our debt has been paid already. Everything has been taken care of. And when a debt has been paid, it makes no sense for us to come and try to repay it again. And so we, we, we need to understand that when it comes to our salvation. We bring nothing to the table. This is not a, hey, Jesus died for me and I have to whatever, fill in the blank. No, it's Jesus died for me, period. Jesus paid the, the debt, period. You ever been in a restaurant and um, had somebody pay your bill for you and you didn't see that coming? That's kind of a cool experience, kind of a cool thing to do for somebody else as well. Uh, but that's happened to us before, where we've gotten to the end and I'm ready to pay the debt that I owe, and then I'm told that's already been taken care of. Now, when that happened, let me tell you what I did not do. I did not insist on paying that debt a second time, right? That wouldn't make any sense, would it? If somebody else has already taken care of that debt on my behalf, why would I try to come along behind them and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay it myself as well. Now, might give a little extra big tip or something like that, you know, but as far as paying that debt, it, it just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to try to double pay something that's already been paid for. So why when Christ has already perfected us and has already paid the debt on our behalf, why would we ever even give a second thought to, but what, is, what do I have to add to that? Nothing. You know, when my girls were born, a little over 21 and 18 years ago, the second they were born, they, they became a part of our family. You know, they, they took on the last name of Switzer. They became a Switzer at that point. And you know that there would never be a point in the rest of their life where they would be more a part of our family than they were at the moment they were born. When you're born into that family, you're, you're, you're part of that family. Now, here's what does happen, though. Over time, as relationships develop, we, the dynamics of how close we draw to one another changes and over time I've been blessed to experience just a, a, a growing depth and, and the relationship with both of my girls has just gotten stronger as time goes on and that's something I'm very grateful for um, that's what we see happening here when it says that we have already been perfected what it's saying is that we've been born into his family already you will never be more a part of the family of God than you were the day that you trusted in Christ and were born again into his family. However, when it says, but we are being made holy, what that's talking about is the depth of relationship. As time passes, we get to know God more intimately. We develop a closer relationship with God. It's not that we're more a child of God than we were at some other point, but we get to know God more deeply and more intimately as time passes. And so the good news is that God is continuing to work out in us. The Bible tells us to work out our salvation, to, to make that, to flesh that out in our lives. Uh, we are still a work in progress.
And God is working to, as it says here, he has already made us perfect, but we are being made holy. One last verse and we'll wrap it up this morning. That's Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So just that reminder that being made holy means that God is still at work in us. Now what that means is um, that, that it's not an excuse to just throw our hands up and say, hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm still a work in progress. Don't hold me accountable, you know. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because I'm still... No, it's not that. But what it does do is it keeps us from getting so discouraged. And when we fail, it allows us to get back up again and realize, you know what, I can keep going because God is still working in my life. So I conclude today by asking you this question. Is verse 14 true of you? For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Have you been made perfect forever because you have trusted in the once for all sacrifice that was God's plan, it was God's will for us? Have you trusted in that? Have you received the gift that he offers? And if not today, I want to invite you to take that step. I want to invite you on this Father's Day to receive this gift that your Heavenly Father has given to each one of us, and that is that He sacrificed His Son for us. And you know what? There may be a dad that's following along, that's with us today or is following along online, that you've never come to a point of trusting in Jesus, or maybe there's a child or a spouse that you would say, you know what? Today would be a great day for me to take that step of trusting in Christ and giving my life to Him. And if that's your step that you're ready to take, I want to lead you through a prayer. In fact, we're just going to put the words up on the screen for you. Make it as easy as we possibly can as we lead through this. This is a prayer of faith. It's not about the words that you pray. It's about the condition of your heart. So whether that's you're here with us in person, whether you're following along online, I just want to encourage you. If you feel that draw and that sense of, I need to respond in some way to this sacrifice that Jesus gave for me, and I want to give my life and my heart to him, then you pray this prayer with me. Let's pray together. And in your own heart, doesn't have to be these exact words, but this is an example of what you might pray. God, I realize today how much I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus to shed his innocent blood to pay the penalty for my sin. I confess to you now that I'm a sinner and I turn away from my sins and I put my faith in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for me and he rose from the dead in victory over sins. Right now, I put my trust in you and I give my heart and my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.